over the songwriters who are putting these hit songs together. And we're talking about worship in songland because obviously at the foundation of our faith is worship to God. Worship to God. And it's not just worship in terms of service to God, but it's actually an expression of our adoration. It's an expression of our affection. It's an expression of our humbling ourselves before God. It's an expression of our love for Him. And when we talk about worship in Songland, what we're trying to do is really pull back the veil a little bit and understand the dynamics of worship understand how we can, in fact, go deeper in our interaction with God. So it's not just having a head knowledge, but it's actually a relating to Him in a dynamic fashion that actually pleases the heart of God and changes us, right? Pleases the heart of God and changes us. So last week, if you were here with us, we talked about the, uh, what happens before the song, what actually produces the song of God in our hearts, the worship, even as the scripture writer exhorts us, sing to the Lord a new song a new song. Well, where does that new song come from as we worship on a daily basis? And so today what we're going to talk about is if you've watched Song Lamb, it's not enough that the people are putting together the songs themselves, but then eventually they have to tailor the songs for the artists for whom they're writing. They have to tailor the songs for the artists for whom they're writing, meaning that there are different artists coming on there. Like how many of you grew up listening to the Jonas Brothers? Okay. No, that's fine. Okay. How many of you grew up listening to John Legend? Okay. Anybody who grew up listening to Will I Am with the Black Eyed Peas? Okay. These are all different artists who've been on there. And even though the, um, the singer or the songwriter has a song that's come out of their heart, eventually for it to be acceptable to the singer that's going to be singing their song, they've got to tailor the song for the artist for whom they're writing. And in the same way, what we've got to do in worship is not just give God anything that we want want to give him, but he's already described to us worship that he finds as pleasing and acceptable to him. And so if we're going to give God worship that's pleasing and acceptable to him, we've got to go to his word to figure out what he says, what he likes, what he's like, and how to worship him in an acceptable fashion. Okay, so we're going to do that together today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word towards us today. And even as we study your word to figure out not only who you are, but how to worship you in spirit and in truth, as you commanded us to in the scripture, we're asking that you would shake off the inhibitions, that God, you would shake off the shackles, you would shake off the misunderstandings, you would shake off the inhibitions that keep us from loving you, oh God, with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our soul and with all of our strength. God, help us to be a people who please you in our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so if you are taking notes today, we're going to go through a lot of thoughts from a lot of different um, authors, first in the Bible, and then people who've been commentators on the Scripture. But if any of you are familiar with uh, certain theologians, many of you are familiar with a man named A.W. Tozer. And A.W. Tozer started off talking about worship this way. He said, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the Word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. Any man or woman who is bored with worship or turned off by worship is not ready for heaven because ultimately that's what we're going to be doing before the throne of God. 
worshiping day and night before the Holy of Holies, saying, casting down the crowns that he's given us by his grace and saying, praise be to the king, the Lamb of God, whose blood was slain for the forgiveness and the cleansing of the sins of the world. And worship is what naturally comes out of our hearts. So to understand that, we've got to understand praise that pleases the Lord, worship that pleases the Lord, and how to, in effect, turn to the Lord. Now, whenever we're talking about these things, we understand that basically we're composed of at least three different components. We're composed of the head, and when we worship God, we're worshiping him with our head, our thoughts about God, right? We're worshiping him also with our heart, right? Our affection, these all go back to the greatest commandment that God gives us, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength, right? And so many people are familiar with worshiping God with their heads, having right thoughts about God. They're familiar with worshiping God with their heart, even having affection towards God. But they're not so familiar with worshiping God with their hands, right? Worshiping God with their hands. And when we're talking about hands, we're talking about the body and the physical expressions that we have in our worship to God. And when we talk about this, we're talking about going into the studio and understanding why it's important what we do when we praise and when we worship God. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, actually said this, it is in the process of being worshiped that God communicates his presence to men. In the process of being worshiped that God communicates his presence to men. And many of us have longed for and yearned for not just a knowledge of God, but an encounter with God. Not just having a head knowledge about the king, but actually relating to the king in such a way that you're touched by him, changed by him, formed and shaped by him through your interaction with him. Well, your access to that is actually worship. Your access to it is worship because we know that God's omnipresent, meaning that his presence is always around. The psalmist, whenever he wrote, he said, where can I go that I'm not in your presence, O God, right? So he says that even all of creation in him, we live and move and we have our being, but we recognize the presence and the manifest presence of God when we come into a place where our minds and our hearts are set on him and then he manifests his presence to us. And so it's almost like the radio waves that you always have going on around you. Do you not know that even as you sit in your seats today, there are radio waves flying by your head? Anybody know that? But if you put up an antenna, right, then you're able to tap into that which is flying by you in an invisible fashion all the time. In the same way, when you worship God, he manifests his presence to you so that you're able to interact with him as he is. The hands, or rather the body in worship, is important in understanding how to worship him wholly and effectively. There was a man named Lamar Boschman who wrote a book called A Heart for Worship, and he said this about how God wanted us to engage our bodies in worship. He said this, our entire being is fashioned as an instrument of praise. Just as a master violin maker designs an instrument to produce maximum aesthetic results, so God tailor-made our bodies, souls, and spirits to work together in consonance to produce pleasing expressions of praise and worship. 
when we use body language to express praise, that which is internal becomes visible. That which is internal becomes visible. And have you ever felt before that you had affection or you had a desire to express something to somebody, but you just didn't know how to let it out? Anybody, it might have been with your spouse, it might have been with a family member, it might have been with a friend, and you might have had good feelings or affection towards that, but it's not until you put some action to it that you were able to fully realize that which you were feeling in your heart, right? Come on, married people, that is why we come together in marriage, the two shall become one flesh, right? Because there's an expression of what's internal being expressed externally, right? And there you're able to experience that which you have dwelling in your heart. And in the same way with worship, he's saying, this is the mechanism by which I use your body. So first we're going to talk about praise to the Lord, and then we're going to talk about worship to the Lord. Because a lot of times people consider them synonymous, but in Scripture they're really described as two different things. Whenever you look at praise, you're talking about what begins your time with God, right? He said, enter my courts with thanksgiving and my what? Okay, that's fine. Bible, gates with thanksgiving and my courts with praise, right? So the first thing that you're doing, it's hard to whenever you're coming from the streets, when you're coming from your work life, when you're coming um, just in from having to deal with the issues of life to immediately go into a place where you're ready to bow down before God and let all that's in you come out, right? And so what God does is if you look at the Old Testament temple, there's some place called the outer court first. And in the outer court, that's where you begin to praise God. That's when you begin to exchange with God the glory that's due his name. But when the scripture talks about praise, it talks about it in terms of celebration. Celebration for who he is and what he's done. Meaning I'm not all somber when I come into a place of praise, but there's something that's coming out out of me that's actually animated, that's actually excited, that actually says, God Almighty, you're good and I want to express this to you. Now, if we're going to get intimate and deep, that's after the foreplay, right? But first, first, we're going to have a time of actually celebration and rejoicing before you. How does the scripture talk about it? It talks about it this way. There were people called the sons of Korah writing in the Psalms in the Bible. And in Psalm 47 verses one through nine, they gave us a prescription for praise that was acceptable to God. He said, clap your hands. Number one, clap your hands. Yes, that's right. We can woo, right? Clap your hands, all peoples. That means when you're excited about something, you're doing what? You're expressing it, right? Clap your hands. You're not just reading about what they used to do. It's an exhortation to us to actually participate in the same thing. So when we're talking about the goodness of God, he says, clap your hands, not just some people. And this is perfect. He says, all peoples, all peoples. Not just people who are naturally excitable by nature. Not just people, right? That's what I, I, I hear people all the time. That's the problem with me preaching, right? That's the problem with me preaching is that everybody's always like, oh, that's just Ryan. <laughs> Ryan's just real excitable. You know, he's just real excited about Jesus. Okay, listen, but it says all peoples, not just Ryan, but all peoples clap your hands. Why? Because we have something to celebrate. 
We have something to rejoice about. And he says, shout to God. I'll, I'll whisper this. Shout to God. Shout to God with, not quiet, but loud, loud songs of joy. I refuse to believe that church life needs to be boring. How many people can say amen to that? I refuse to believe that we need to just be sitting on our seats, nodding off, talking about, well, at least I came to church today. No, when we come to church, it is a party. When we come to, when we worship God by ourselves in our rooms, listen, have all the intimate moments you want. That's where the Bible, that's where your walk with God goes deep, right? And you get to know him and share your heart and express your heart. But when we come together, it's a party. It is a party, right? It's sort of like, you all remember going to the club? It's like the bump, bump. Listen, you remember, remember. or like maybe you had friends who did this. You remember what it was like to party, right? And I'm telling you, if you're a Christian, you should be partying more now in a holy manner than you ever were living in the world. Why? Because you're free. You've got joy, real joy inside of you. You're not running after it. It lives in you by the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So whenever I come before God, I'm ready to shout. I'm ready to shout with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. It said he subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. Let's keep going. He chose our heritage for us, meaning we have an inheritance in God. The pride of Jacob, whom he loves, Selah, which means pause and think about that. God has gone up with a shout. Wait, whoa, 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 what? You mean God shouts too? Whoa, whoa. Hello, that means that God might be described as emotional. Hello. You see, often our picture of God is just somebody who's like, you know, like sort of a, a man about like at the edge of the grave, you know what I mean? In a rocking chair, you know, talking about bless you, my child. But God's animated. In Zephaniah, it talks about him rejoicing over his people with singing. He rejoices over you with singing. And when he goes up to ascend to his throne, he goes up with a shout. That's right, God is animated. He goes up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. He's like, yes, baby, that's music to my ears. Make it loud, make it happy. Sing for joy. He says, sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of not some, but all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations, the peoples, all nations. He says, the earth is the Lord and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So worship from all peoples belongs to him. And God reigns over them. And God sits on his holy throne <clears throat> The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Good news, right? Many of you are familiar with a man named Francis Chan. And Francis Chan, I like what he said about worship. He said, I thank God that we, I thank, I'm so thankful rather that we serve a God who cannot be exaggerated. 
that we serve a God who cannot be exaggerated. So whenever we're coming to him, speaking of his goodness, if we have words talking about you're awesome, you're holy, you're good, you're fantastic, see those pale in comparison to who he actually is. We don't have words to describe his greatness. And he's like, listen, if you're talking about his goodness, there's more to go. Why? Because we're going to be doing it for eternity. He's worthy of it. He's inexhaustible. David, you can look at this later in Psalm 30. He actually talked about basically meaning the people of God in praise. And he says, in the midst of mourning, he says, he turned my mourning into dancing. That's right. So praise, whenever God meets you, is actually something that puts a little hippity hop in your step. A little hippie hop in your step. And that's all right. I understand we're in seats right now, but you can at least two-step. You can at least go one to the side, one to the side. Praise him, right? That's what your dad used to do, right? Come on, keep it right, keep it tight, right? (laughs) So a little bit of a two-step, right? Because when God is releasing you of your mourning, he turns it effectively into dancing. He turns it into dancing that you can be free and happy. What do you do when you're dancing? You're a, what, what state are you in? You're happy, right? Come on, Pharrell, right? Because I'm happy coming on and be right? right? That's right, because we know like Pharrell more than we know like worship songs. But listen, it's when we're happy that we start dancing, right? He says, you've turned my mourning into dancing. God, I'm dancing effectively to give you honor and praise. I'm giving you honor and pray. So to review, just looking at the scripture, what he says he likes whenever his people are praising him is he likes clapping. He likes loud shouts for joy. He likes singing. He likes playing instruments. There is a man named Victor Hugo who says music expresses that which cannot be said and on which it is impossible to be silent. God likes playing instruments. He likes dancing and he likes celebration. All of this constitutes praise. But whenever you're talking about worship, worship is a little bit of a more intimate thing. And in the midst of worship, we see God meeting us in an intimate way. What does worship constitute? Many of you were here a couple weeks ago and uh, Daniel uh, mentioned some, some of these things whenever he was talking about the imminent God. But we talk about meeting God in worship is learning to literally physically bow before him. Bow before him. This might be a little bit what you're more familiar with whenever you're coming from a liturgical background or a little bit more of a um, a high church background. What happens is is that you bow before God. And there was a man named H.H. Rowley who actually wrote a book called Worship in Ancient Israel, giving us the right mindset for coming before God in worship. And he said the first element in worship Whenever you're praising him, you're celebrating him. But whenever God's manifesting his presence to you, you're bowing before him, right? In honor of who he is. And in ancient Israel, it said the first element in worship is adoration, where you're saying, God, I'm literally blowing kisses to you, blowing my affection to you, saying, God, I'm expressing my devotion towards you. And the Hebrews express this by their posture and not alone by their word. For they prostrated themselves, which means to lay on your face before God. They prostrated themselves before God. There's a scripture that says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. 
They did not come with an easy familiarity into the presence of God, but were aware of his greatness and majesty and came with a sense of privilege in his house. Came with a sense of privilege in his house. See, if we appear before a king, we're not taking it for granted that we get to enter into his presence, right? If we come before a ruler, you don't just assume, oh, this is commonplace or this is ordinary, but you actually acknowledge their greatness and humble ourselves with expressions. Before God, it was bowing. It was kneeling in prayer. It was prostrating yourself before God. Now, when we think about the reason that this is important or why body language is important, I think that we can look to a particular apologetic. Now, I've already mentioned C.S. Lewis before in this, but how many of you have ever read um, a book called The Screwtape Letters before? Okay? The Screwtape Letters. The Screwtape Letters is a very good book because what he's trying to uncover is sort of the temptations that the enemy has towards the people of God to pull them off track in their devotion to God. Okay? And it's writing this guy's screw tape, this demon screw tape, is writing to his nephew called Wormwood, okay? And he's talking about the different things that are happening whenever the enemy is trying to pull you off track in terms of your devotion to God. And whenever he was talking specifically about how body language is important in the midst of our worship, he said this. He said, this screw tape to his nephew, another demon, Wormwood, he says, at the very least, they, meaning the Christian, can be persuaded that the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers. For they constantly forget what you must always remember, that they are animals and that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. We always think that the enemy is trying to drop temptations into our mind, but what he's saying here is that if we can actually not be engaged with God, then we're key, he's actually doing his job by keeping things out. If we're not actually effectively focused on and meditating on the greatness of God that produces awe and wonder in us, then we're not going to engage him properly or serve him appropriately. And this is what he's saying here. He's saying what happens in your posture actually affects what's going on in your soul. Let's go back to praise for a minute. When I'm lifting my hands, what is that doing in my soul? It's the universal sign of surrender, right? If you're in a battle, if you're in a war, and you're basically like, listen, hands up, treaty, peace, <laughs> right? You're lifting your hands in surrender. If you're dancing, we already talked about that. You're happy. If you're shouting, you're what? You're exclaiming something, but you're also in shouting, pushing something back, right? You're also pushing something back. If there was an oppression or a spirit of heaviness upon you, he said, let us battle the spirit of heaviness with a garment of praise. And so what do we need to do when heaviness comes upon us? We need to lift our sights and our hearts towards God and praise him, and that effectively pushes things back. What happens in our souls when with our bodies we're bowing? 
what's happening is, is that effectively something in our souls is orienting around someone or something that's greater than ourselves. And it's acknowledging something greater than ourselves is we're in need of their interaction. We're in need of their help. We are saying we're giving you the honor that you're due, right? When we kneel, what's happening? Hopefully we're turning off our phone and we're kneeling because we're down there to do something, do business down there, right? It gives us a focus of attention. Why do you close your eyes? See, some of us, Nobody, the Bible doesn't talk about closing your eyes in the Scripture. Okay, it doesn't talk about when you pray, close your eyes. But it's just useful, right? Because if you're like me, I'm like the, the dog in Up, the Disney movie Up. You remember that? So right, that's right. It's like you're just in the middle of a conversation, something causes bite, squirrel, right? It's like, that's what we're like in worship and prayer, right? But you close your eyes and you kneel before God to acknowledge his greatness and to focus on him that he might engage you and change you through that interaction, right? You kneel and you prostrate yourself, but understanding that our posture affects us, humbling ourselves, lifting our hands in surrender, And what we want to be, whether it be privately or in public, we want to be more focused on the glory of God than on who or what's going on around me. I want to be more focused on the glory of God than who or what's going on around me. Intimacy. Finding a place of intimacy with God. When you think about worship, it's engaging him in intimacy. It's an exchange. It's crying out to God crying out to God. In a continued uh, discourse in the Tape letter, C.S. Lewis said things this way, talking about crying out to God in the midst of worship. And when he says crying out to God, he means crying out to God. It's not just, listen, it's not just God is good, God is great, let us thank him for our food. It's actually crying out to him. If you've ever been in a real need, whether physically, relationally, financially, emotionally, you've learned that a cry comes out of your heart. And it's not just, you know, going through business as usual. It's actually, God, I'm, I'm coming before you and I'm desperate for you. And a cry comes out because I need you. It's like a child crying for its parent. <clears throat> and then C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, when he was talking about the distraction that the enemy tries to give us in terms of crying out and worship and in terms of uh, our prayer before God in times of worship. He's talking again and he says this, if all these other things fail, you must fall back on a subtler misdirection of his, inten- of his um, intention. Whenever they, meaning the Christian, are attending to the enemy, and the enemy in this case, because it's demons talking, is talking about God, Okay. So he's saying, whenever the enemy himself, or attending to the enemy himself, we are defeated. And that's an important phrase. Whenever they are attending to the enemy himself. So whenever they're paying attention to God himself, then they're defeated. Okay? But there are, are ways of preventing them from doing so. The simplest form is to turn their gaze away from him, meaning God, towards themselves. Keep them watching their own minds and trying to produce feelings there by the action of their own wills. Help them try to muster up 
the feelings that God himself is trying to produce in them through engaging him is what he's saying. When they meant to ask him for charity, let them instead start trying to manufacture charitable feelings for themselves and not notice that this is what they are doing. When they meant to pray for courage, let them really be trying to feel brave. When they say they are praying for forgiveness, let them be trying to feel forgiven. Teach them to estimate the value of each prayer by their success in producing the desired feeling. And never let them suspect how much success or failure of that kind depends on whether they are well or ill, fresh or tired at the moment. What is he saying? He's saying so many of us judge and determine our right standing with God or our feelings as the place of our right standing before God. We judge whether or not we're doing well by how we feel before God. And instead of actually going to God to produce in us the things that he wants to by his spirit, we don't cry out to him. Instead, we try to manufacture those things. And he says, this is a ploy of the enemy. Instead of in worship crying out to God, we try to will ourselves into those realities. And he's saying worship, on the other hand, turns you to engaging God, engaging God so that he might do a work in you. And this is what David was talking about in Psalm 144, I'm sorry, 145, starting in verse 14. He said, the Lord upholds, upholds all who are falling. That's the good news, right? He's gracious and compassionate. If you've ever tried to will yourself into obedience or to caring enough about God to actually be faithful to him, he says, listen, you might be falling, but he says, the Lord upholds all who are falling. And here's the good news, raises up all who are what? Bow down. All who are bow down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to what? All who call on him. To all who call on him, right? That's engagement. That's not just thinking about him. It's interacting with him, right? It's not just enough to have thoughts towards him. It's engaging him to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also, here again, hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. So because of this, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. It's engaging him through worship that changes us. And that makes us like him. His word is the foundation by which we know him. His word is the foundation which we give him worship and praise that's pleasing and acceptable to him. And as we engage him, he changes us. He frees us from our bitterness. He frees us from our lack of an ability to forgive. He frees us from our fears, right? That's what King David said. I called to the Lord and he delivered me, meaning he rescued me from all my fears, from all my fears. 
And that means fear of the future, fear of failure, fear of all the things that beset you, right, on a daily basis. But he said, I cried out to the Lord, and he delivered me from all my fears. This is an element of worship that we need to embrace. And this all finally is just the liberty that he wants to bring us as we turn to the Lord, as we turn to the Lord. Billy Graham, God rest his soul, is um, many times known as a great evangelist, right? And many times people are familiar with him speaking the gospel to turn people to Jesus Christ. But he also wrote a lot of good books on just general theology. And one, one of the things he said is he said, the purpose of Christian society called the church is first to glorify God by our worship. We do not go to church just to hear a sermon. We go to church to worship God. Hello. We go to church to worship God. It is not just to sit there and be taught, though that's important. The Bible does need to be taught. But the result of that or the desired impact of that from God is that we turn to him with expressions of worship. That we engage him in worship. The problem is, is that if we are constantly excusing our lack of engagement, calling it culture, then we'll never do the thing that God has called us to do. Let me tell you something. I've been in all types of churches throughout my 20-something years of serving God. All types of churches. I've been in white churches. I've been in black churches. I've been in Asian churches. I've been in Hispanic churches. I've been in mixed churches, whatever, <laughs> you know, and all of them, you have some of them who are very animated, some of them that are not. You have some that are, you know, pretty quiet and silent, some that are not. And here, here's the thing, people, I'm not talking about, yes, well, let, me, let me make this real clear, because obviously you see the color of my skin. What we're not talking about, I've been to black churches that are quiet as a church mouse, and they weren't worshiping God in an excitable fashion because they were African-American. They were choosing to be silent and pensive before God. Oh, I've been in some Caucasian churches where they're, listen, the flag lady almost decapitated me. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? I mean, listen, in my old church, in my old church, I got assigned I got a sign, yeah, cold nose. <laughs> I got a sign to the flag lady because she was excited, but she was like t almost taking people out. He's like, listen, just stand next to her. Let, let the, you patrol the area. <laughs> and, and I'm talking about the Caucasian flag lady, okay? And so here, here's the thing about it. It's not a matter of culture. It's a matter of the spirit of God and what he desires out of worship with his people. You understand me? These scriptures that were written were written and authored, inspired of the Holy Spirit. So you cannot relegate that which God is calling for to a cultural caricature. You have got to give God what he desires because it's pleasing to him. Everybody with me? And the only way that we're going to get there 
The only way that we're going to get there is by the freedom that comes from the Spirit of the Lord. And this is where we'll end. Paul, when he was talking to the Corinthian church, he talked about the law being given through Moses and the freedom that comes whenever we turn to Jesus Christ. See, all the things that were written in the Old Testament, they came with a veil over people's minds and hearts. Why? Because they were a foreshadowing of that which would be accomplished in Jesus Christ, right? All of a sudden, we know that our sins can be forgiven because Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. He's our sacrificial lamb. He's the one who paid for our sins. We can actually be reconciled with God because of the atonement that he purchased on his, with his blood. But let me also tell you this. You can actually come to God reconciled with him with freedom and joy in your heart because of the liberty that he brings in your heart. And this is what he says. Yes, to this day, this is Paul talking, whenever Moses is read, and what we were reading was Old Testament, and it's not just talking about the law, it's also talking about the Old Testament, is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, a veil is removed. I'm able to understand things through Jesus Christ. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so what happens is, is that when we turn to Jesus Christ, the reason we have access to God and the throne of God is because of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. But what happens is, is when you are born again, he gives you a gift, this promised Holy Spirit that comes to make a home in you. And you don't go to just worship at a temple anymore, but you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit comes and makes a home inside of you, he breaks you free from the inhibitions. He breaks you free from the fears. He breaks you free from the lack of understanding of how to engage God acceptably and in a pleasing manner to him. And he says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. And there is liberty to worship him in a manner that is pure, holy, and acceptable to him. He says, don't give me socks for Christmas. I've told you what I want. Give me that which I'm actually asking for. And he says, praise me, worship me, and turn to me. Worship me in a manner that pleases me, and I'll change you in the process. And with unveiled faces, we're transformed from glory to glory as we reflect on the greatness and the glory of who he is. Not us, but who he is. And that is what worship is about. That is why we praise God. And that's what we're going back into right now. So if we would, worship team, come on up and take this, if you would, and use it as an opportunity to engage God in a fresh way. Now, if you've never done it before, I encourage you to do what we said. Be practical and close your eyes. Get into some sensory deprivation if you need to. Close your eyes and forget about who's around you and give God what pleases him with a clap, with a song, with a shout, with a praise. If you need to two-step, do that. But what you need to do is engage God and be transformed by him because where the spirit of the Lord, there is liberty for you. Amen? All right, let's rise to our feet.